Welcome to Kishwaukee Bible Church. Good morning. You may be seated. Thank you, Adam. Thank you, worship team. I think if we just sang that song, it really sums up um, the message of, of uh, the kingdom now and not yet that we've been talking about and I've been sharing um, last week and this week. Um, good morning and happy new year 2020, right? This is, uh, should be the uh, year, dream year of marketing for the optometric world, right? 2020, the year, come to us for 2020 vision. So we hope that uh, spiritually we can have 2020 vision for Jesus as we are talking about looking to him, taking John the Baptist's discipleship model of looking to Jesus and pointing others to him. So I think you're in for a great sermon today, not because of, of me, but at the breakfast table this morning, our six-year-old Matthew said, Daddy, I, I want to pray. I want to pray for Daddy today. And so we get ready to pray, and he says, Jesus, I pray that Daddy wouldn't mess up today. So, you know, I, I was talking to Steve beforehand, and I said, you know, I don't think I've ever preached when you were here or Jesse was here, because Jesse, you're always gone, and last week you were in assembly, and Steve was always gone whenever I preached. So, Jesus, please hear Matthew's prayer today. <laughs> Before we dive in, let's pray. Jesus, we, uh, we come to you. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and we are so grateful for this time together. We are grateful that you have come, as we talked about last week, into the wilderness for us, for our sins, to, to, to draw us up out of the muck and the mire. And you identified with us in our humanity and in our baptism. And you came to fulfill all righteousness where we could not because we fell short and have fallen short. And you went to the cross and you died for us, and you rose again, and you ascended to heaven, and you're coming again, and your kingdom reigns eternally. And yet we live in this world in the now aspect of your kingdom, where the kingdom of darkness is still among us, and we are still among them, and the evil one, and these kingdoms are colliding. But you have given us victory. You have secured the victory at Calvary, at the empty tomb, in your ascension. And when you return and the kingdom not yet is consummated fully, then we will be resurrected with you and we will rejoice where there will be no more death, no more sorrow, no more pain, no more sin. And we look forward to that day. And I pray right now that you would open our, our minds and hearts as we um, open your word together in Matthew chapter 4 and that you would help us to see that you have gone into the battle for us and won the battle. You've called us to follow you and as we follow you, you're going to make us fishers of souls. And then one day again, when that task is complete of taking the gospel to the nations, you will return and set up your eternal kingdom and you will reign forever and ever. In your precious name we pray. Amen. So we're walking through the, the book of Matthew and the coming of Jesus Christ, the King of Kings, into this world to establish his kingdom. 
And he comes for his people, as we mentioned last week. He came to the wilderness. He came into the darkness, and he came to call out a people to himself to worship and serve him forever. And we're talking about this concept of the kingdom now and not yet. And we, we talked about it last week as being dynamic in nature and that there is a now and not yet aspect to it. We discussed that the kingdom of God is best thought of as the reign of God and that wherever the king is, there is the kingdom. That Jesus right now lives and dwells in those who have repented of their sins and received him as their Lord and Savior. And that he's coming again in glory to bring his kingdom to fruition and to reign forever and ever. And Colossians 1 really lays that out where he talks about he's called us, he's, he's tr- delivered us from the domain of darkness and translated us into his kingdom, in the kingdom of his son. The Father has done that for us through Jesus. And then later he says, Christ in you right now, the hope of glory, now and not yet. But we see these kingdoms clashing And the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light are going head to head. This is going on now, but Jesus will return and he'll deal the final death blow to Satan and his kingdom. And you can see I brought my props again. I brought my baton. For those of you who weren't here last week, this baton represents the gospel message of Jesus' kingdom. And God handed this down to the Old Testament prophets. The Old Testament prophets handed it down to John the Baptist. John the Baptist handed Jesus' own baton to him. And we're going to pick that up today. And then Jesus, which we're also going to see, now begins to hand it off to his disciples. And they eventually hand it off to the people in their generation, from one generation to the other, till now it lands in our hands. And now we are called to take this gospel, this baton, to our world. A few years ago, my brother came to visit us. Um, He was coming on a, a day of a Bears game. And we all wanted to watch it together, but he wasn't going to get there till later in the afternoon. And so... We decided to tape the game, DVR the game, and we would all avoid any contact with our computers um, and TV and radio. And at that time, we didn't have smartphones, so we didn't have to worry about that. But everything went really well. We all did well. He got here. We were sitting down ready to order the game, and we ordered our pizza. The one avenue we didn't think about. And I happened to have a bear shirt on. So I went to answer the door. Guy sees my shirt, and he says, what a great comeback by the Bears today, huh? I can't believe they won. I'm like, oh, I can't believe that. Here's your money. No tip for you. <laughs> I didn't really say that, but, but Don and Chris did not hear what he said. And so I was like, huh. So I didn't say anything to them. And it was very fun, actually, to watch this game and watch the Bears fall behind by 14 points, not playing very well, But over time, they started grinding it out. They started coming back, and I wasn't nervous at all. (laughs) And then they won. And then I told them, guess what? I knew all along that they were going to win. That's a picture of the kingdom now and not yet. We have Jesus, the Holy Spirit, living in us right now. And we are eternally his, eternally in his kingdom. It's just not yet that it's full fruition. Right now, we still got the battle. So you can see I brought my whiteboard. And I, I love visuals, and I just want to kind of rewind here a little bit from t- to last week. These symbols represent a storyline of the gospel of Jesus' kingdom. The arrow down, he came. He died. 
the tomb, empty tomb. He rose again. He ascended to heaven, and he's coming again in glory. This is the kingdom not yet, the final arrow. Matthew 1, 1 to 17 leads us up to this first arrow. And Jesse had shared with us how uh, the, the coming and the promised Messiah and king was the son of Abraham, the son of David, and even the one that went in to the deportation, or into the exile with the children of Israel and out of it. And we see that unfold in Matthew. We see Jesus presented as the son of Abraham. We see him presented as the son of David. And even as we begin to see the church unfold, and he's calling people into that kingdom, and the church is here, but we're in essence in exile. Peter talks about us being exiles on this earth. So Jesus is that king, he's that promised one, and we have that surety that he's come and his kingdom cannot be stopped. And Matthew 1.18 picks up with the birth of Jesus, so he has come as a, a child. And between Matthew 1.18 to 26.31, we have his earthly ministry as he grows up and becomes a man and then follows through his earthly ministry, and then he goes to the cross, Matthew 26.32 to 28.20. He's raised again. He commissions the disciples with the message of this kingdom. Acts 1, he ascends to heaven. And we talked last week how the disciples were looking and looking and looking and how they didn't even, still didn't understand this now and not yet aspect of it. And the angels appeared and said, what are you looking up there for? He's going to come the same way you saw. And they were to wait for the Holy Spirit. Acts 2, in between the last two arrows, the Holy Spirit is given the presence of the king comes to dwell in his believers individually and corporately. And that's where we're at now. The message of this kingdom is given to us. We are between the last two arrows before the king returns. And we're 2,000 years closer to it than we were when he first ascended. So we're looking at, last week we looked at Matthew 3, that the king comes for his people in the wilderness. And today we we're going to look at the king goes to battle for his people and the king builds his kingdom in and through his people if you have your bibles with you open with if you will to matthew chapter 4 the king goes to battle for his people matthew 4 1 to 11 then jesus was led up by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil and after fasting 40 days and 40 nights he was hungry and the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. Jesus said to him, again it is written, you shall not put your Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to them, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Jesus, having been baptized, now is led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He's identified with Israel and mankind's sinfulness, and now he would do what Israel failed to do and be obedient to God in the fiery tri trials of the wilderness. 
He will not fail where Israel failed. He will not fail where Adam and Eve failed. And he will not fail where we have failed. He will truly fulfill all righteousness and defeat the enemy. And there are some intriguing parallels between Jesus, the forever king, and David, the king. Especially when we compare David's battle with Goliath and Jesus' battle with the devil. If the devil could cause David to be killed, he would stop the messianic line. And so his encounter with Goliath is more than just a shepherd boy fighting a big giant. What's at stake is not just a boy and the nation he represents, but the salvation of all of God's people throughout all the ages. And if the devil could cause Jesus now to give in to temptation and sin, he would have the ultimate victory and ruin God's rescue plan. But Satan's plans will never come to fruition because God's plan in Jesus is an eternal plan, just as Ephesians 3.12 tells us, and God's purpose and will can never be stopped. Both David and Jesus were anointed just prior to their battles. David was anointed by Samuel as the next king of Israel in 1 Samuel 16, and Jesus was anointed by the Holy Spirit at his baptism in Matthew 3. Both were kings who, in a sense, had not yet come into the fullness of their kingdom. David was not yet king of Israel when he fought Goliath. Jesus is the forever king and currently reigns over all creation, yet his eternal kingdom, as we've mentioned, will not come to fruition until he returns and establishes it forever. As mentioned in Genesis 3.15, God had promised to deal the serpent a mortal wound to the head. Even so, David's stone that he brought up out of the water was sunk into the head of Goliath, a definite mortal wound to the head, while Jesus, the rock of ages, has come up out of the waters of baptism, and he's going to deliver a mortal wound, and he has delivered a mortal wound to the serpent right here in the wilderness and ultimately at Calvary and the empty tomb. Goliath brought three earthly weapons that could not stand against the power of God. David said to him, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Satan brought three weapons of temptation that could not stand against the power in the name of the Lord Almighty. For every temptation Satan offered, Jesus answered in the power of the written word of God. So we see that both David and Jesus did battle in the power of the Lord. Just as David said, for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hand. David was a great king, the greatest king of Israel, and he led his people well. But when he failed to lead his people into battle, he fell into sin. Second Samuel records David's victories over the enemies of God. The second Samuel 1 tells us that the, re- the reason for his downfall In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel. And they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained at Jerusalem. He didn't go out to battle. And what follows is his fall into his sin with Bathsheba. But Jesus never stopped. He never turned back. He always went into battle. He's gone into battle for us. And where David failed, he has not. Notice again, Jesus is led by the Spirit into the wilderness. The kingdom is advancing. It can't be stopped. But Jesus is on a collision course with the kingdom of darkness. And when we follow Jesus, God leads us into the battle, not away from it. If we're followers of Jesus, life is going to have its challenges. 
and life is hard, it's not easy to follow Jesus, but our king goes in advance before us and he's won the victory for us. The pathway of King Jesus is headed to the cross. That is where he will secure an an eternal inheritance for his people in his eternal kingdom that has not yet come. Once again, Satan comes to try and thwart that plan right here in the wilderness. And in this battle, Jesus faces and conquers three specific sins that Israel fell into in the wilderness. Misplaced hunger, misplaced thirst, and misplaced worship. It's three temptations, three answers from Jesus, and three aspects of who Jesus is. Temptation one, misplaced hunger. The devil attacks Jesus at his weakness. Jesus is hungry after 40 days of fasting. He tries to make Jesus use his divine power to meet his physical need at the expense of the spiritual need of of his fulfilling all righteousness for his people. Jesus' quote, Matthew 4, 4, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God, comes from Deuteronomy 8, 3. And in the wilderness... God provided for his people through the manna from heaven, the wafer that provided all that they needed. And behind the physical blessing, though, was the spiritual blessing. And Israel misplaced their hunger by longing for the earthly food rather than for God himself. And God allowed the hard things in their life to show them that he was really all that they needed. Listen to Deuteronomy 8.3. gives us a context of Jesus' quote here. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. This word is our life, our very life. Christ is our life. In John 6, Jesus expands on this, and he says that he is the manna from heaven the bread of life. And when Israelites rejected manna, they were rejecting Jesus. Jesus is all we need. He is the one who gives us life, and he is the one who sustains our life. And we need to feast on him. Temptation number two deals with misplaced thirst. And the answer is the spiritual water that comes out of the rock of Jesus. By telling Jesus to jump off the temple and let the angels catch him, the devil is tempting Jesus to presume upon God and thirst for temporary glory apart from the glory that he will experience through his death and resurrection. He answers it by quoting Deuteronomy 6.16. He says, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. When we look at the context of this quote, Deuteronomy 6.16 adds, you should not put your Lord your God to the test, and it says, as you tested him at Massa. Well, what happened at Massa? Let's look again at Exodus 17. It gives us the context of it. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and the water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? The people came to a place in the wilderness where they had no water to drink. They didn't believe in God's provision. 
and they assessed God's presence, or in their minds, his lack of presence, by the absences of comfort, and they quarreled with Moses because of it. They were thirsting for the physical, but not the spiritual. God in his mercy provided that water, but behind the physical is again the spiritual blessing. And 1 Corinthians 10 tells us that Jesus is the rock out of which that water flowed. Jesus is the rock that was struck at the cross, and out of him flows the water of life. And the temptation number three is misplaced worship. And Jesus is the king of kings that all should worship. Again, we see the collision of Satan's kingdom and the kingdom of heaven. He tempts Jesus to give up the eternal kingdom of heaven for the temporary kingdom of the world. He tempts Jesus to worship him, and Jesus is the one true king that it should be the only one who is worshiped. We look again at the context of the quote. Jesus said, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. From Deuteronomy, again, six thirteen to 15, it is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him shall you serve, and by his name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you. For the Lord your God in your midst is a jealous God, lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you, and he destroy you from off the face of the earth. The book of Matthew and all of Scripture screams that Jesus is the King of kings and the one who is to be worshipped. Who or what do we hunger and thirst for? If one hungers and thirsts for the pleasures of life, then that person will worship the God of their belly, the God of self, and not the one true God. In chapter 5, where we're headed next and where Jesse will pick up, Jesus says that the one who hungers and thirsts for righteousness will be filled. The more that we strive to feed and drink on Jesus in his word, the more we will experience his presence and joy. Our worship will be directed by what we consume to feed our hunger and quench our thirst. All of Jesus' answers are from Deuteronomy and the word of God to the Israelites in the wilderness. The incarnate word quotes the written word to battle and defeat the enemy. And there is a depth and a power behind the word because it reveals the person of Jesus Christ to us. These aren't just words on a page. It's the very breath of God, as Paul told Timothy. When we open it and we read it, we are communicating with the King of Kings. Jesus' method of spiritual warfare needs to be ours. There's no shortcuts if we want to have a relationship with Christ and walk and follow him, we need to open his word and spend time praying and pouring over it. And when we speak forth this word to ourselves and to each other and to those around us, we're acknowledging and proclaiming the very presence of the King of Kings. And we need to remember that true life is not about physical blessings, but about the God of the blessings. We are meant to enjoy and make use of the blessings of God in this life. But we are meant to look beyond what is seen and physical and see the invisible and spiritual hand of God. And as amazing as it is that our king has gone to battle on our behalf and given us the weapons that we need to wage spiritual warfare, it is equally amazing that we get to play a part in his kingdom marching forward. 
The kingdom can't be stopped. Jesus moves from this battle and begins the unfolding plan of his plan to build his kingdom, and it's a kingdom built upon him and in him and through him and through his people, the church. So we come to Matthew 4, 12 to 17. The king builds his kingdom in and through his people. Verse 12, now when he had heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee, and leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light, and for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death on them a light has dawned. And from that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus takes up the baton from John the Baptist and begins to preach the same message. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent. The king is here. I am the king, he says. Jesus moves into Capernaum and sets up his base of ministry. And once again, as this is happening, Scripture is being fulfilled as God's plan unfolds. Now, this plan of the kingdom is an eternal one. It is decreed by God before all creation, but yet we still see God moving in and through the circumstances of life to bring it about. John is sent to prison, but the message of the kingdom continues on. And I, I find comfort in the weaknesses of the people of God because it, it tells us that God uses weak instruments because even John the Baptist himself, while he was in prison, began to have his doubts about this now and this not yet aspect of the kingdom. He's in jail, and we'll learn about this more in Matthew 11, but he, he's, he's doubting, and he sends messengers to Jesus to ask, are you really the one? John the Baptist, who saw him face to face, who heard the Father speak, who saw the Holy Spirit come upon him, he said, what's going on? Why, why am I in jail? Is it, is it still going forward? And Jesus sent back confirmation to him that the gospel is being preached the sick were being healed, and, and um, he confirmed the message and sent it back to him. And, and we all have moments in our walk when we're following Jesus where we feel weak, and we question about what God is doing, and maybe even struggling with, with if this is all really true or worth it. But Jesus would comfort us and tell us to press on, keep on believing, and keep following him. We need to look to Jesus and point others to him. John would soon be martyred for his faith, but not until his mission in life was completed. And I, I find that very comforting as well. Just like in Acts 13.35, he says of David that when he had served God's purpose in his generation, he fell asleep. And when our life purpose is linked to the kingdom, linked to Jesus' purpose, then we can move forward in reckless abandon and knowing that we are unstoppable. And he's going to take us through to the end and take us home when the time comes and his kingdom's going to keep going until he returns and he sets it up forever. John's imprisonment caused Jesus to withdraw to Galilee and thus fulfilling the prophecy of Isaiah that the great light of the Messiah would shine in the region of Galilee. God's word and his providence in carrying out that word are beyond what we can imagine and our steps as we are following Jesus we're looking to him and pointing others to him. All the details of life weave around that purpose, and we can rest in that. Verses 18 to 22, we see him begin to call out disciples 
to hand off that baton. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father, and they followed him. Follow me, Jesus said, and, and I will make you fishers of men. Jesus takes ordinary lives and transforms them for his extraordinary purpose. These guys were just ordinary fishermen. They were just everyday people like us. How do you view your current station in life? Do you recognize that you don't have to be a great orator or a spiritual giant to be used by God for his kingdom? We look to Jesus and we point others to him. It's as simple as that. God uses men, women, boys, girls to spread the good news of his kingdom. And each of us is uniquely gifted by God to proclaim this message. And we do so by the words that we speak and by the lives that we live. As we are following Jesus, we're allowing his word, we're hearing his word, we're spending time in his word, and we're allowing that word to come in and change who we are. And then we're living it out, and then we're pointing other people to this king of kings. The word and, follow me and, I will make you fishers of men, it's, it's key. Both sides of the sentence have to be true for this sentence to be true. So every person who follows Jesus, he says, I will make you a fisher of souls. It's Jesus' will that we are fishers of souls. All else flows from this. Following Jesus transforms every moment every circumstance, every place, and every work for his kingdom. And then verses 23 to 25, we see a, the kingdom now and yet a foretaste of the future. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria. And they brought him all the sick, those who those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. Here we see Jesus doing two things, preaching and healing. The word of his kingdom is marching forth unstoppable, and where the king is, the presence of the king is, the miraculous is taking place. And notice that he heals each and every one there's no limit to his power. But which one of these people that he healed here is on, on the earth today? None. Does that mean that his plan has failed? Does that mean his power is limited? No. These people don't have resurrection bodies yet. We don't have resurrection bodies yet. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says that the, 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 these bodies cannot inherit the eternal kingdom. Again, it's the now and the not yet aspect. We have the king in, his, in, his, in our lives right now. But our bodies have to be transformed in eternity when he returns. This is a foretaste of what's to come. When Jesus comes again, we read to the end of the book in Revelation, there's no more death, there's no more sorrow, there's no more pain, 
There's no more tears because the kingdom has now been consummated. God's plan for us hasn't failed when we face trials, hardships, sickness, or even death. And yes, we should seek him for healing because he still does heal. Yes, we should seek every means that he gives us in this life for healing and well-being so that we can follow him with whatever time he has appointed for us to spread the good news of his kingdom. We should seek him for these blessings in life, though we must seek him above and beyond the blessing itself by looking to him and pointing others to him with our lives and our words. So, KBC, the baton is now in our hands. We want to make 2020 the year of clear vision of looking to Jesus and pointing others to him, of following Jesus by growing Jesus' followers. And to do this, we must commit ourselves to spending more consistent time in his word and prayer and seek to point others to do the same. And as we do this, we'll be passing the baton, the baton of the gospel to everyone in our sphere of influence. And as it moves in their lives and it continues to spread, Matthew 24, 14 says, when the, the, this gospel is preached to all the nations, then the end shall come. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and we praise you that, that we have been blessed and privileged beyond measure, that Jesus the King has come into this world, into the wilderness, into the muck and the mire of our lives, and he went into the battle before us, and he's won the battle. And he's calling out a people, has been calling out a people, and continues to call out a people for himself, his church. And Jesus, you said that you will build your church and the gates of hell will not stand against it. So as we hold this baton of the gospel in our hands, we can't be stopped. Lord, we, we seek you for the blessings in life, the necessities of food and water, the necessities of physical well-being, of healing, and, and we seek that. And we know that in your mercy you provide those things. And, and yet we know, too, that we're waiting for the not yet, the when our bodies are resurrected and we no longer have pain and we no longer have tears or sorrow of any kind and we no longer have to deal with the sin that is still indwelling in us. But we thank you that Jesus has come. The King of Kings has come to reign in our lives right now and we battle this darkness, this kingdom of darkness, but Jesus, you've won the battle and we look for that moment and that day when you return and you call us home. We love you and we praise you. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us. For more information about our church, please visit our church's website at kishbible.org. That's K-I-S-H-Bible dot O-R.